0: Volume One, Chapter Six of Willard's Weird by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Chapter Six A Clerical Warning. The children's tea party lasted a long time, and the twins enjoyed themselves prodigiously in the yew tree arbor albeit both their hostess and their aunt were curiously absent-minded, and returned vaguest answers to Minnie's continuous prattle, and to occasional remarks propounded gravely by Jenny between two mouthfuls of cake. Perhaps the twins enjoyed themselves all the more under this condition of things, for they were allowed to range at will from one dainty to another, and were not worried by those troublesome suggestions of unwholesomeness which are apt to harass juvenile gourmands. Tea was over at last, and then they had a game of ball on the grass in front of the fountain. After that they fed the goldfish, until Hilda began to talk of getting them home. It was nearly seven o'clock by this time, and Bothwell had not appeared. The whole business seemed flat, stale, and unprofitable to Hilda, for want of that familiar presence. He had been such a pleasant companion of late, not attentive or flattering of speech as young men are to girls they admire he had said none of those pretty things which call up blushes in girlish cheeks but he had been kind and brotherly and hilda was satisfied to accept such kindness from him she thought it even more than her due she was not what is called a high-spirited girl she did not expect men to bow down and worship her she did not expect that hearts were to be laid at her feet for her to trample upon them she had none of the insolence of conscious beauty If ever she were to love, it would be secretly, meekly, patiently, as Shakespeare Helena loved Bertram, with a gentle, upward-looking affection, deeming her lover remote and superior as a star. There had been a time when she thought that Bothwell cared for her a little, and then he had been to her as Bertram. Now he was kind and brotherly, and she was grateful for his kindness.' She was somewhat heavy-hearted as she arranged her disordered hair, rumpled in a final game of romps with the twins, and put on her hat to go home. The donkey was waiting before the old stone porch, and Fraulein Meierstein had come to assist in escorting the twins. I thought Minnie might be troublesome after tea, she said, as if tea had the effect of champagne upon Minnie's temperament. They set out across the fields in the warm glow of evening sunlight a little procession the children full of talk and laughter Hilda more silent than usual It was harvest time and the corn stood in sheaves in one wide field by which they went a field on the slope of a hill on the edge of the moorland on the lower side of the field there was a tall overgrown hedge a hedge full of the glow of sunshine and the colour of wild flowers red and blue and yellow an exuberance of starry golden flowers scattered everywhere amidst the tangle of foliage there was a gap here and there in the hedge where cattle or farm labourers had made a way for themselves from field to field and through one of these gaps a man scrambled and jumped into the path just in front of the donkey the animal gave a feeble shy and the twins screamed first with surprise and then with pleasure the man was bothwell whom the twins adored why didn't you come to tea asked minnie indignantly it was very naughty of you i was out of temper minnie not fit company for nice people how do you do hilda he had fallen into the way of calling her by her christian name almost from the beginning of their acquaintance in those days when he had been so much brighter and happier than he seemed to be now the donkey jogged on carrying the twins minnie holding forth all the time lecturing bothwell for his rudeness the frulein followed eager to protect her charges they were only a few paces in advance but hilda felt as if she were alone with bothwell so the children have had their long promised tea party he said And i was out of it hard lines they missed you very much said hilda but did you not know it was to be this afternoon i knew yesterday dora told me answered bothwell hitting the wild flowers savagely with his cane as he walked by hilda's side Unconsciously they had fallen into a much slower pace than the frulein and the donkey and they were quite alone i knew all about the tea party and i meant to be with you and then something went wrong with me this morning and i felt only fit company for devils if satan had been giving a tea party anywhere within reach i would have gone to that concluded bothwell vindictively i am very glad satan does not give tea parties in cornwall of course you know that he would never trust himself in our country for fear our cornish cooks should make him into a pie answered hilda trying to smile But I'm very sorry to hear you have been worried My life has been made up of worries for the last six months I try sometimes to be cheerful reckless rather and to forget and then the viper begins to bite again Hilda would have given much to be able to comfort him It seemed almost as if he looked to her for comfort and yet What could she say to a man whose troubles she knew not who kept his own secret and hardened his heart against his friends? They walked on in silence for a little way. Some of the reapers were going homeward in the soft evening light. There was a great wain being loaded a field or two off, and the voices of men and women sounded clear and musical through the summer stillness. Would you be sorry for a man who had brought trouble on himself for his own folly, for his own wrongdoing, Hilda? Bothwell asked presently. I should be all the more sorry for him on that account she answered gently yes you would pity him such women as you and Dora are angels of compassion they never withhold their pity but it is tempered with scorn they despise the sinner even while they are merciful to him you ought not to say that I am not given to despising people I am too conscious of my own shortcomings you are an angel said bothwell piteously oh hilda how much i have lost in life how many golden opportunities i have wasted there are always other opportunities to be found answered the girl trying to speak words of comfort vaguely hopelessly in her utter ignorance of his griefs or his perplexities there is always the future and the chance of beginning again yes in queensland in the fijis in peru if you mean that I may some day learn to make my own living, I grant the possibility. Queensland or Peru may do something for me. But my chances of happiness, my chances of renown, those are gone forever. I lost all when I left the army. At seven and twenty, I am a broken man. Hard for a man to feel that his life is all over and done with before he is thirty. I fancy there must be a time in every life when the clouds seem to shut out the Sun But the darkness does not last forever said Hilda softly. I hope the cloud may pass from your sky Ah, If it would Hilda if that cloud would pass and leave me my own man again as I was nine years ago before I went to India You seem to be very happy last winter in the hunting season said Hilda trying to speak lightly Though her heart was beating as furiously as if she had been climbing a mountain Yes, I was happy then I allowed myself to forget I did not know just then that the trouble I had taken upon my shoulders was a lifelong trouble Yes, it was a happy time Hilda last winter How many a glorious day we had together across country you and I were always the first flight and generally near each other our horses were always such good friends were they not they loved to gallop neck and neck oh my darling i was indeed happy in those days unspeakably happy he had forgotten all prudence all self-restraint in a moment he had taken hilda's hand and lifted it to his lips oh my dear one let me tell you how i love you he said i may never dare say more than that perhaps but it is true and you shall hear it if only once yes hilda i love you i have loved you ever since last winter when you and i used to ride after the hounds together oh those happy winter days those long waits at the corners of lanes or in dusky thickets or on the bleak bare common i shall never forget them do you think i cared what became of the fox in those days or whether we were after the right or the wrong one not a jot dear the veriest tailor that ever hung on to a horse could have cared no less for the sport than i it was your sweet face i loved and your friendly voice and the light touch of your little hand i was full of hope in those days hilda and then a cloud came over my horizon and i dared hope no more i never meant to tell you i knew i had no right to tell you this but my feelings were too strong for me just now will you forgive me hilda "'that I, who dare not ask you to be my wife, "'have dared to tell you of my love. "'Can you forgive me?' "'There is nothing to forgive,' she answered gently, "'looking at him with tear-dimmed eyes. "'She was very pale, and her lips trembled faintly as she spoke. "'In her inmost heart she was exulting at the knowledge of his love. "'It was as if she had drunk a deep draught of the strong wine of life. "'In the rapture of knowing herself beloved,' she had no room for any other consideration his love might be foolish vain unprofitable fatal even for the moment she could not measure the consequences or look into the future she cared only for the fact that bothwell graham loved her the love which she had given to him in secret in all maiden modesty purest most ethereal sentiment of which woman's heart is capable had not been lavished upon a blind and dumb idol Upon a god of wood and stone, they walked on for a few minutes in silence. Bothwell still holding Hilda's hand, but saying never a word. He had said too much already, since he dared say no more. He had told his secret and had entreated to be forgiven, and now he came to a dead stop. Fate had walled him round with difficulties, had set a barrier before his steps. Fate or his only folly that easy yielding to temptation which a man prefers to think of afterwards as fatality. The thud of a horse's hoofs upon the grass on the other side of the hedge startled Bothwell from his reverie, and Hilda from her beatitude. They looked up and saw Edward Heathcote cantering towards them on his powerful black. Mr. Heathcote was renowned for his hunters. He never counted the cost of a good horse, and he never had been known to buy a bad one. He was a man who could pick out a horse in a field a quarter of a mile off ragged and rough and unshorn Altogether out of condition long mane and neglected tail and could distinguish the quality of the animal to a shade He had made many of the hunters he rode and was not afraid to tackle the most difficult subject He loved horses and they loved him This was a subject upon which he and Bothwell sympathized and it had been a link between them hitherto nothing had been more friendly than their intercourse until the last few weeks during which time mr heathcote had carefully avoided penmorville and bothwell graham he rode through a gap in the hedge acknowledged bothwell's presence with a nod that was barely courteous and then turned to his sister you had better hurry home hilda if you mean to be in time for dinner he said bothwell was not slow to take the hint goodbye hilda he said offering her his hand he called her by her christian name boldly in her brother's hearing there was even a touch of defiance in his manner as he shook hands with her and lingered with her hand in his looking at her fondly sadly hopelessly before he turned and walked slowly away across the bright newly cut stubble which glittered golden in the evening light mr heathcote dismounted and walked beside his sister with the black's bridle over his arm the well-broken horse following as quietly as a dog you and graham were in a very close confabulation as i rode up hilda said heathcote gravely with scrutinizing eyes upon hilda's blushing face pray what was he saying to you hilda hung her head and hesitated before she replied please do not ask me edward she said falteringly after that embarrassed silence i cannot tell you You cannot tell me, your brother, and natural guardian, said Heathcote. Am I to understand that there is some secret compact between you and Bothwell Graham which cannot be told to your brother? There is no secret compact. How unkind you are, Edward, cried Hilda, bursting into tears. There is nothing between us. There is nothing to tell. Then what are you crying about, and why was that man bending over you, holding your hand just now when I rode up? a man does not talk in that fashion about nothing he was making love to you hilda He told me that he loved me and you call that nothing said heathcote severely It can never come to anything it was a secret told unawares on the impulse of the moment I have no right to tell you only you have wrung the secret from me Nothing can ever come of it Edward pray forget that this thing has ever been spoken of between us i begin to understand said heathcote he asked you to marry him and you refused him i am very glad of that you have no reason to be glad replied hilda with a flash of anger she was ready to take her lover's part at the slightest provocation you have no right to make guesses about mr graham and me it is surely enough for you to know that i shall never be his wife they had left the stubble field and were in a lane leading to the spaniards a lane sunk between high banks and wooded hedgerows such as abound in that western world that is enough for me to know answered heathcote gravely but nothing less than that assurance would be enough i hope it is given in good faith there was a severity in his manner which was new to hilda he had been the most indulgent of brothers hitherto why should you speak so unkindly about mr graham she said what objection have you to make against him except that he is not rich his want of money would make no difference to me hilda if it were for your happiness to marry a man of small means i could easily reconcile myself to the idea and would do my best to make things easy for you i have a much graver objection against bothwell graham than the fact that he is without a profession and without income there is a horrible suspicion in men's minds about him which makes him a man set apart like cain and my sister must have no dealings with such a man what do you mean edward exclaimed hilda turning angrily upon her brother with indignant eyes what suspicion how dare anyone suspect him unhappily circumstances are his worst accusers his own lips his own manner have given rise to the conviction which has taken hold of men's minds when the idea that bothwell graham was the murderer of that helpless girl first arose in my own mind i struggled against the hideous notion i told myself that i was a madman to imagine such a possibility but when i found that the same facts had made exactly the same impression upon other minds you could think such a thing edward exclaimed hilda pale with horror you who have known bothwell for years who knew him when he was a boy you who have called yourself his friend seen him day after day you a lawyer a man of the world you can harbour such a thought as this i could not have believed it of you perhaps it is because i am a man of the world and have seen life on the seamy side and know too well to what dark gulfs men can go down when the tempter urges them perhaps it is because of my experience that i suspect bothwell graham oh it is too horrible cried hilda passionately i feel as if i must be mad myself or in company with a madman bothwell graham bothwell whom i remember when i was a child the frank generous-hearted lad who went away to india to fight for his country and who fought so well and won such praise from his commanding officer yes hilda interrupted her brother and who just when he seemed on the high road to fortune threw up his chances and abandoned his profession to become an idler at home that same bothwell graham who when he was asked what he did with himself during a long day at plymouth could give no account of his time that same bothwell whose manner from the hour of that catastrophe on the line became gloomy and sullen Altered so completely that he seemed a new man, that same Bothwell, whom everybody in the neighborhood of Bodmin suspects of a foul crime. That is the man whom I do not wish my sister to marry, albeit he is of the same flesh and blood as the woman whom I respect above all other women upon earth. I am glad you have remembered that at last, said Hilda bitterly. I'm glad you have not quite forgotten that this murderer is Dora Willard's first cousin brought up with her taught by the same teachers reared in the same way of thinking god grant i may see reason to alter my opinion hilda replied her brother do you suppose that this suspicion of mine is not a source of pain and grief but while i think as i do can you wonder that i forbid any suggestion of a marriage between my sister and bothwell graham i have told you that i shall never be his wife said hilda pray do not let us ever speak his name again they were at the entrance to the spaniards by this time not the great iron gates by the lodge but a little wooden gate opening into the fine old garden second only in beauty to the penmorval parterres and terraces will you mind if i don't appear at dinner edward asked hilda presently as they went into the house i have a racking headache poor little girl said her brother tenderly you are looking the picture of misery i am very sorry for you my dear i am very sorry for us all for i fear there is calamity ahead for some of us if bothwell is wise he will go to the other end of the world and take himself as far as possible out of the ken of his countrymen if he should ask you for counsel hilda that is the best advice you can give him if he should ask me that is just the very last counsel he would ever hear from my lips answered hilda indignantly i would entreat him to stand his ground to live down this vile calumny to wait the day when providence will clear his name from this dark cloud such a day will come i am sure of that she went to her own room and shut herself up for the rest of the evening the convenient excuse of a headache answered very well with the servants she declined all refreshment would not have this or that brought up on a tray to oblige glossop her own maid who was deeply concerned at her young mistress's indisposition i have a very bad headache she said and all i want is to be left alone till to-morrow morning don't come near me please till you bring me my early cup of tea glossop sighed and submitted it was not often that miss heathcote was so wilful glossop with the coachman's daughter had been born and brought up at the spaniards in old squire heathcote's time she was a buxom young woman of five-and-thirty and and counted herself almost one of the family at last hilda was alone she locked her door and began to pace her room up and down up and down with her hands clasped upon her forehead trying to think out her perplexities it was a fine spacious old bedroom lighted by old-fashioned casement windows looking two ways one to the garden one to that timber-belted lawn which might almost take rank as a park there was a sitting-room adjoining which was hilda's own particular apartment containing her books and piano and a little table on which she painted china cups and saucers hilda had spent many a happy hours in these rooms practising studying painting dreaming over high art needlework but this evening she felt as if she could never again be happy here or anywhere A dense cloud of trouble had spread itself around her enfolding her as a mantle of darkness shutting out all the light of life the Sun was sinking behind the tall chestnuts in a sea of red and gold every leaflet of rose or myrtle that framed the casements showed distinct against that clear evening sky such a pretty room such a lovely landscape and sky without and yet that young soul was full of darkness she had defended her lover with indignant firmness just now she had protested his innocence declared that this thing could not be true and now in solitude she looked in the face of that cruel slander and her faith began to waver what could be stranger or more suspicious than bothwell's conduct this evening with one breath he had avowed his love with the next he had told her that he was unworthy to be her lover that they two could never be man and wife Yes, it was true that he had changed of late, that he had become gloomy, despondent, fitful. His manner had been that of a man bowed down by the burden of some secret trouble. But was he for this reason to be suspected of a horrible crime? It was abominable of people to suspect him, most of all cruel and unworthy in her brother, who had known him from boyhood. And then came the hideous suggestion, as if whispered in her ear by the fiend himself what if my brother should be right her own experience of the world was of the slightest her chief knowledge of life was derived from the novel she had read she had read of darkest deeds of strange contradictions in human nature mysterious workings of the human heart hitherto she had considered these lurid lights these black shadows as the figments of the romancer's fancy now she began to ask herself if they might not find their counterpart in fact she had read of gentlemen like murders, assassins of good bearing and polished manners, Eugene Aram, Count Fosco, and many more of the same school. What if Bothwell Graham were such as these, hiding behind his frank and easy manner the violent passions of the criminal? No, she would not believe it. She laughed the foul fiend to scorn. her woman's instinct was truer than her brother's legal acumen. She told herself and as for those bodmin busybodies she weighed their wisdom as lighter than thistledown i Would marry him tomorrow if he asked me to be his wife she said to herself I would stand beside him at the altar before the face of all his slanderers. I should be proud to bear his name She blushed crimson at her own boldness as she stood before her mirror with hands clasped in all the fervor of a vow but from that moment her faith in bothwell graham knew no wavering in an age when infidelity and scorn of religious ceremonial is very common among young men bothwell graham had always been steadfast to the church and to the good old-fashioned habits in which he had been brought up by his aunt he was not a zealot or an enthusiast but he attended the services of his church with fair regularity and had a proper respect for the rector of his parish even in India where men are apt to be less orthodox than at home Bothwell had always been known as a good churchman For the last year it had been his custom to receive the sacrament on the first Sunday of the month He had risen early and had walked across the dewy fields to the old parish church And had knelt among the people who knew him and had felt himself all the better for that mystic office even when things were going far from well with him there was much that was blameworthy in his life yet he had not felt himself too base a creature to kneel among his fellow sinners at the altar of the sinner's friend it was a shock therefore to receive a letter from the rector on the last day of august requesting him to absent himself from the communion service on the following sunday lest his presence before that altar should be a scandal to the other communicants God forbid that I should condemn any man unheard, wrote the rector, but you can hardly be unaware of the terrible scandal attaching to your name. You have not come to me, as I hoped you would come, to explain the conduct which has given rise to that scandal. You have taken no step to set yourself right before your fellow-men. Can you wonder that your own silence has been in some wise your condemnation? My duty to my flock compels me to warn you that until you have taken some steps to free your character from the shadow that now darkens it You must not approach the altar of your parish church If you will come to me and open your heart to me as the sinner should to his priest I may be able to counsel and to help you if you can clear yourself to me I will be your advocate with your fellow parishioners always your friend John Monkhouse he did wisely to write said bothwell crushing the letter in his clenched fist if he had spoken such words as those to me i believe i should have knocked him down priest though he is he answered the rector's letter within an hour after receiving it i have nothing to confess he wrote and that is why i have not gone to your confessional the difficulties and perplexities of my life are such as could only be understood by a man of my own age and surroundings they would be darker than Sanskrit to clerical grey hairs. Because I did not choose to answer questions which I could not answer without betraying the confidence of a friend, my wise fellow parishioners have agreed to suspect me of murdering a girl whose face I never saw till after her death. I shall attend to receive the sacrament at the eight o'clock service next Sunday, and I dare you to refuse to administer it. I have the honour to be yours, etc., Bothwell Graham he walked to bodmin and delivered his letter at the rectory door he would not run the risk of an hour's delay on his way home he overtook hilda near the gates of the spaniards she was very pale when they met and she grew still paler as they shook hands after a word or two of greeting they walked on side by side in silence i wonder that you can consent to be seen with me said bothwell presently after a farmer's wife had driven past them on her way from market you must have heard by this time what people think about me your brother foremost among them i believe for he has given me the cut direct more than once since the inquest i am sorry that he should be so ready to believe a lie said hilda for i know that this terrible slander is a lie god bless you for those straight strong words hilda exclaimed bothwell fervently yes it is a lie i am not a good man I have taken one false step in my life and the consequences of that mistake have been very heavy upon me but i am not capable of the kind of wickedness which my bodmin friends put down to me i have not risen to the sublimer heights of crime i am not up to throwing a fellow creature out of a railway carriage why did you not answer that man's questions at the inquest asked hilda urgently forgetting that she had hardly the right to demand his confidence that refusal of yours is the cause of all this misery it seems such a foolish obstinate act on your part i dare say it does but i could do no more or less than i did to have answered that inquisitive cur's prying questions categorically would have been to injure a lady as a man of honour i was bound to run all risks rather than do that i begin to understand said hilda blushing crimson Why had she not guessed his secret long before this she asked herself the mystery that surrounded him was the mystery of some fatal love affair She was only a secondary person in his life There was another who had been more to him than she Hilda could ever be Another to whom he was bound for whom he was willing to sacrifice his own character She felt a jealous pang at the mere thought of that unknown one no you can never understand exclaimed bothwell passionately you can never imagine the misery of a man who has bound himself by a fatal tie which chains him to one woman long after his heart has gone out to another i gave away my liberty while i was in india hilda pledged myself to one who could give me but little in return for my faith and devotion i dare not tell you the circumstances of that bondage the fatality which led to that accursed engagement I am desperate enough to break the tie now that it is too late now that i dare not offer myself to the girl i love now that my name is blasted for ever yes for ever i know these narrow-minded rustics and that to the end of my life i shall in their sight bear the brand of Cain. here is a fine example of liberal feeling hilda he handed her the rector's letter crumpled in his angry grasp she read it slowly tears welling up to her eyes as she read how hardly the world was using this poor bothwell and the harder he was used the more she loved him what are you going to do she asked i shall kneel before the altar of my god as i have knelt before there will be at least one communicant there who will not shrink from you said hilda softly we will kneel side by side if you like god bless you my darling god help me to clear my name from this foul stain which fools have cast upon it and then a day may come when you and i may kneel before that altar side by side and i may be thrice blessed in winning you for my wife there was a brief silence before hilda murmured you have told me that you are bound to another yes and i have told you that i will break through that bondage can you do so with honor yes it will be more honourable to cancel my vow than to keep it and when i am a free man when this shadow has been cleared from my name will you take me for your husband hilda a man with his way to make in the world but needing only such an inducement as your love to undertake the labours of a modern hercules will you have me hilda when i am my own man again i will answered hilda softly yet with a firm faith that thrilled him i shall have to brave my brother's anger perhaps but i will not wait till your name is cleared from this slander of what use is fair-weather love it is in storm and cloud that a woman's faith should be firmest when you have freed yourself from that old tie which has grown a weariness to you when you can come to me in all truth and honour my heart shall answer frankly and fully bothwell and then you can tell all our friends that we are engaged it may be a very long engagement perhaps I shall not be of age till two years hence, you know. But that does not matter. People will know at least that I do not suspect you of a crime. My noble girl! he cried, beside himself with joy. Never had he thought to find any woman so frank, so generous, so brave. He would have caught her in his arms, pressed her to his passionately beating heart, but she drew herself away from him with a decisive gesture. Not until you are free, Bothwell. Not until you can tell me that the old tie is broken. Till then, we can be only friends. Be it so," he answered submissively. "Your friendship is worth more to me than the love of other women. Will you walk to Penmorval with me? Dora has been wondering at your desertion. Not today. Please tell Dora that I have not been very well. I will go to see her tomorrow. Goodbye, Bothwell. Goodbye, my beloved. They parted at the gate of the Spaniards. End of Volume One, Chapter Six.